Hey guys, Gary here. Uh, just a slight trigger warning for this episode as we are talking about a film that deals with sexual assault. So just thought I'd give you a head sort of for starting it. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all of the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. We've reached the end of Japanuary. We have. I'm a bit sad, sad to say it. Well, because you know we're going to go back to bad films soon. Not necessarily. <laughs> I'm just saying we don't have to, do we? <laughs> well, we've got trash in our name, so we have to. Yeah, um, but yeah, we have reached the end of what has been a fantastic month. Uh, for us, anyway, we're watching the films. We've been treated to two bad films, and both of those are entertaining to sit through. And everything else has been been great, with the, today's episode being no exception. Yes, absolutely. It's 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 nice. So well, I just like talking shit about films, really. There we go. You know, and we've got a lot of shit to talk about this film. We are concluding Japanuary with another masterpiece, and the first anime film on this podcast. We are discussing Perfect Blue from nineteen ninety seven. Yeah. Um. Wow. Just wow. Yeah. Really, just yeah. animated horror. Done expertly. Yeah. Probably one of the most challenging films when it comes to making notes and uh, being put inside this character's head and trying to figure out where we are while she's trying to figure out where she is within the film. Yeah. I, uh, a little There's muddled. Something. There's something. A um, little muddled. This is definitely one of those cases where I would tell anyone listening, please watch the film. Yeah. Watch it before listening. Please watch the yeah. film. Because... Again, we cannot do it 100% justice no. just by telling you about it. It needs to be yeah. seen. Directed by Satoshi Khan, who directed Millennium Actress, Tokyo Godfathers, Paprika, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, Paranoia Agent, Mag- uh, Manga Entertainment, The Art of Anime, and Anakuri 15. So, so far, that's two tens and a nine from me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Tokyo, fantastic. Tokyo Godfather's incredible, amazing. I loved that film. Really, um, ahead of its time with its themes and such. Yeah, yeah. Particularly towards the the sort of uh, trans community. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, makes a little comment in this. Now that I think about it, and this is from the same maker of Tokyo Godfather's. A little um, thing within the show, within the film. Um, don't... But I, why can't I remember the name of what it's called? Anyway, the show that... You know what I'm about. The show within the film that, yes. the, that our lead character's making. There's a certain little Double reference. Bind. Double Bind, that's the one. There's a certain little reference in there that I feel like might have been a dig towards films that had negative trans representation. Potentially, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely makes more sense now. Um, but yeah, and Paprika, the film that Inception ripped off. <laughs> it's true. It's I've true. never seen Inception. I mean, I've I never have, seen Inception. I have seen but you've only got to read the plot and watch the trailer to know that it is Paprika. But people, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the, as far as I know, there were women in uh, Paprika. Oh, there we Christopher go. Christopher Nolan struggles with women, <laughs> doesn't he? Uh, written by Sadayuki Murai who wrote Cowboy Bebop, Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle, and Planet of Monsters. 
Ultraman yes. Nexus and Dinah. Millennium Actress, Knights of Sardonia, no, not the Muse song, the film, Steam Boy, and more. Millennium Actress, I feel like we need to watch Millennium we'll Actress. definitely need to see Millennium Actress. I think it's just got a pretty decent release yeah. in the UK. Um, yeah, that's top of my list. Paranoia Agent as well is really high on my mm. list. Love um, what I've seen of Cowboy Bebop, but we, we do need to finish that. And this is based on the novel by Yoshikazu uh, Takuchi. Originally, this was actually going to be live action. Yeah. But became an anime when several backers abruptly pulled out in pre-production. Do you know what? And I don't know, there is actually a live action version of this out there, made in 2002. Right, okay. Um, and... A remake, apparently to IMDb, a remake that's in the works. Uh, I don't know if that's American or... Wouldn't surprise me. Um, I'm glad they went with anime because there's a lot that they can do here that you just wouldn't be able to get away with in live action without it looking... I mean, I don't I don't know. I don't know, but I don't think it'll have the same impact. Like, especially with stuff like this and with Paprika, there's just a lot of things that's like, okay, you really created some fucking breathtaking visuals there just because you've done it through animation. Yes. I don't think live action could do some of those visuals justice. Unless you're going big budget. Yeah. So unless you can do big budget, then you are best off just sticking with the animation because there's a lot of, like you said, the visuals in this film that, especially in 1997, on a smaller budget, mm -hmm. may not have been... Pulled off successfully yeah. in live action. Yeah, absolutely. It was made on a budget of ninety million. Mm. That's still fairly hefty. Yeah, um, ninety million watts. Yen. Yen. Oh, okay, yeah. so not as hefty. Uh, and the equivalent in actually no, actually no, it's not hefty at all. The equivalent in America is eight hundred and thirty thousand and four hundred forty-two dollars. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the worldwide gross, you I could only get US and UK only. It was seven hundred and sixty-eight thousand and fifty dollars. Yeah, I think this is another case of a film not quite making its way to the West yeah. uh, at the same time as Japan. I think this definitely got a cult following. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I mean, I've I'd heard of it many years previous. And there is a shot-for-shot shot, um, scene. I want to say stolen, yeah, I suppose. Stolen in Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, Darren Aronofsky actually brought the rights for this film uh, because he was an anime fan and wanted to recreate that bathtub scene uh, in Requiem for a Dream. But he insists that his other film, Black Swan, did not take any influence from this. What a liar. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely did. Yeah, there is some um, definite correlation between yeah. the two. I think it's interesting that Darren Aronofsky, as an anime fan, mm. was aware of Perfect Blue. Now, anime in general, and to a lesser extent now, but I feel when I was growing up was very niche. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't regularly on television. Um, I wouldn't have known how to sort of get hold of a lot of anime apart from Studio Ghibli, mm. especially after Disney bought the rights yeah. to the Studio Ghibli. 
if I remember correctly. Yeah, I was going to say the first time I ever heard of anime was when Spirited Away was released. Spirited it, Away, absolutely. Yeah. Spirited Away was, big, the really rear, was the big one that made its way to the West. But technically, Pokemon? Yes, but Pokemon is, of course, anime, mm. but was not sold to us as anime. That's true. That's true. It wasn't you sort of typical way that anime is mm. sort of advertised yeah. in the West. That's true, yeah. You wouldn't, unless you were knowledgeable, and I mean, this is before the internet and all that, mm. unless you were knowledgeable, you may have not even realised it was Japanese. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, it was dubbed into English and all the, you know, Pokemon themselves had English names. Mm. And obviously, they're, they're not like Dave and Steve and Clive, but they had names that they, they weren't Americanized names. Americanized yeah. names, you know. So unless you were aware, you may not have even known it was Japanese yeah. Pokemon. So, and then particularly with this film, um, that I've totally forgotten the name of, Perfect Blue. <laughs> I was gonna call it something cool. I'm call it Cool Blue. Uh, <laughs> I swear I'm knowledgeable, um, but Perfect Blue, it the adult themes as well, and I mean I would never an eighteen rated animated yeah. film. Oh my god, I would never have known when I was mm-hmm. younger. I was like, are they allowed to do? Are they allowed to make cartoons? <laughs> They're yeah. eighteen rated. Oh lord, how does that work? Would so you... yeah, I wasn't I wasn't aware of this until fairly later on. Yeah. Do you know who was aware of it? Who? Madonna. Right. Who used extensive selections from this film as a backdrop animation during a dance interlude on the Drowned World Tour in 2001. Nice. And if you watch the Drowned World Tour concert film, you can see those snippets. So it must have made its way to the West as, as a court film then. Yeah, I think so. Maybe America more than the UK. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, at sort of oh, how old were I? I was at nine years old. I'm not looking for, you know, adult cartoons. No, Re- no, I wasn't. No? No. Okay, just me. No. <laughs> wow. So we may not have heard of the uh, film at the time, but shall we find out if we know anyone who was in the film? Yes, in a section we like to call "Hey, I know you." Next year, yeah. You learn in Japanese next year. Well, why don't you learn it in Japanese? We had this exact conversation on a previous episode. Well, every episode, every single <laughs> Japanuary episode, you have suggested that I learn to say, hey, I know you, in Japanese. Well, you got a year. <laughs> if anyone would like to teach me Japanese for free, that would be really nice. Let's <laughs> <laughs> put it out there. So, Mima Karigu uh, voiced, is voiced by Junko Ewo. Uh, now, I'm just going to say, obviously there is an English dub version and there is the Japanese version. I'm just going to list everyone who's in the Japanese version for this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Junko Ewo. So, it's not a case of like, you know, like when the, the Studio Ghibli films are dubbed by really famous actors. This is before that time. And it's isn't like it? Kirsten Dunst. N- like, highest rated film yeah. is Kiki's Delivery. So yeah. Like. Um, but yeah. 
Junko Iwao was in Attack on Titan, Hunter x Hunter, Neon Genesis uh, Evangelion. Evangelion. Evangelion, which we've been watching. We so have, I should not say we've been it. really enjoying. Um, Card Captor Sakura, City Hunter, Go- City Hunter, Goodbye My Sweetheart, and more. Nice. Uh, Rumi is voiced by Rika Matsumoto, who is, now brace yourself, Ash in Pokemon. Wow. Yeah. Ash was by a, a, a woman. Mm-hmm. Wow. Do you not tell? Yeah, you can. <laughs> all of all of our uh, all of our favorite '90s cartoon characters, male cartoon characters, are voiced by women because you know why? Women do it better. <laughs> Bart Simpson. But, but I'm all, well, Homer wasn't. But all of the Rugrats voice. Oh yeah! Women. <laughs> Shout out to uh, Elizabeth Daly. Yeah. Um, Naruto, Kamen Rider, Beyond Generations. Uh, by the way, this is the rest of Rika Matsumoto's filmography, not the voice by women. Not, not male characters voiced oh. by women. DC superheroes versus Eagle Talon, Stitch, the Japanese TV series. With a 4.4 on IMDb. As in Lilo and Stitch. Stitch. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, Yona Yona Penguin and more. Tajima is voiced by Yasuki Akimoto, who is in Akira. Nice. Cowboy Bebop the movie. Nice. Mobile Suit Gundam 0080 War in a Pocket. Nice. Monster, Naruto, Pokemon and more. Nice. Uh, Takeo Shibuya is voiced by Yoko Shioa, who was in Gatchaman, Space Squadron 9 Ranger, which was kind of like Power Rangers. I mean, I say kind of like Power It was Power Rangers, but remade into Power Rangers for okay. Western audiences. Nice. One of the latest series of it. Um, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Cowboy Bebop, Slayer's Try, and more. And Sakuragi is voiced by Hideyuki Hori. Who was in Beast Fist Squadron, Geki Ranger, Superhero Tizen, Kamen Rider vs. Super Sentai, Fist of the Northern Star, Fist of the North Star, should I say? Fist of the Northern Star. A few people Star. Have reputation around here. <laughs> I think I know that one. But your grinder name <laughs> One Piece. Is that your grinder name? Mine. And Digimon Ghost Game, and, and more. And more. It just can't beat Fist of the North Star. Anime is one area where we are very much lacking. Yeah. I feel. Um, it's something we're trying... Well, not trying to get into, but trying to find the time to get into. Well, yeah. Because what we've seen, we've learned. Exactly. We've not seen a single bad anime so far. No. No, but we just haven't seen enough. No. It, it is one area, because we, we love Japanese cinema... And I think I've spoken about this on the podcast before, but our love for Japanese cinema tends to be horror and the classics. Yeah. You know, so it does tend to be film based mm-hmm. rather than TV series. Yeah. Um, which a lot of the anime is. And, you know, we've seen the Studio Ghibli films, but only fairly recently. Mm-hmm. Really. And there's still loads outstanding. Yeah. That we need to catch up on, but you know, there's only so much time in the day. You know, all these films we have to talk about on the podcast and watch, and mm-hmm. all that shite we have to watch to prepare for the podcast. 
of the trash <laughs> when we could be watching a classic anime instead. Are you, are you quite finished? Yeah, I am. I don't, I don't know what point I was making. I don't, I'm not Give really, it our sub story out. No, I'm not really, it was not really a sub story. <laughs> Please feel sorry for us in our terrible life having to watch these films. We did watch The Fablemans today, so... <laughs> irrelatable content. Yeah. White people problems. I'm, I'm, I'm Michelle Williams in The Fablemans. So it's time for our final feature presentation of Japanuary. I'm always watching Mima's room! In the world of make-believe. This is when Mima proves herself. The price of fame. Don't worry, Mima, it'll be all right. May not be worth the cost of identity. Where did this come from? How do they know so much? Innocence is lost. Dreams become nightmares. And privacy no longer exists. Where everything you do can be seen by everyone. And those you trust are really those you should fear. Your life no longer belongs to you. Excuse me. Manga Entertainment presents Satoshi Khan's animated psychological thriller. Perfect Blue. Excuse me, who are you? Excuse me, who are you? We start with a Power Rangers style stage show being put on for people, followed by people having a gossip about Mima Karegu. Member of J pop idol group named Cham. With an exclamation mark, so you have to shout it. All in capitals too. Yeah. Cham. Uh, they're about to perform and they are about to fucking slay the motherfucking house down. Yeah, so we were introduced to them. They're about to perform in an open air concert in some sort of town square, supported by some uh, Power, <laughs> Power Rangers, Rangers tribute act. <laughs> Uh, I saw the Power Rangers live. Did you? Um, first, Not the real ones. Like, the real ones. They weren't the real uh, ones. I, I have nothing to say they weren't, but um, it was at the NEC in Birmingham, and it was the first... I mean, the first concert I went to, um, we didn't need to talk about that, but, like, the first time I was at the NEC, and it was Power Rangers live, and they were, like, running around the aisles and everything. It was crazy. Been wild in the aisles. They were. I don't yeah. think they were the real Power Rangers, and I'm sorry to break it to you. Well, I could hope, really, couldn't I? Okay. But I'm just saying, you know, they weren't supporting uh, Cham, unfortunately. No, no, they weren't. No. So Mima is super duper nervous. Yeah. And uh, their fans are gossiping about Mima's future with the band. And uh, we get a good performance. A cute little... Uh, Pink attire. Yeah. Um, what really stands out for me in this scene, and it's very interesting to see that the, the crowd consists solely of older men mm. rather than the young girls and children you would expect at this sort of pop concert. Yeah. And from the way the three women are on stage, the, 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 their sort of personas on stage and their attires on stage, mm. you would think it would be a much younger audience and females, you know, yeah. young girls with this sickly sweet pop yeah. trio on stage. But it's all older men. Yeah, and the way they're talking about the group mm. is very much uh, like a modern, like from a modern perspective, it's how people would talk about 
seeing a group like that, seeing a group go out there, you know, empowering in their own outfits, owning their sexuality, it would piss people off like that. And they're gossiping and they, they're slagging them off. They are. It's And this film is very much, this film's got a lot of themes about it, very interesting themes. And one of them is fandom culture and it deals with it really well. I mean, especially like, yeah, you know, putting people like that in the audience when technically people like that actually wouldn't go and see groups like that usually. They just sit behind their computers these days and slag them off. You say that, but we were at a concert not too long ago. This is true. This is true. We were at a Mitski concert, and she was absolutely slaying the house down boots on stage. Mm. And there were two fully grown men who'd paid their money, got their tickets, and stood behind us loudly telling each other how disappointed they were Mm. that she didn't have more charisma. Yeah. And that she wasn't playing to the crowd. Mm. And they left early. And they left early. That's true. That's true. So maybe people do know. Yeah. I, I feel like the internet has... And the internet plays a big part in this film, but for different reasons. But the internet now has given people a platform to spout whatever they like. Yeah. And they just put it out there. And nine times out of ten, there's not really much consequence to it. And, you know, they feel like they're entitled to put their opinion out there and they're mm. entitled. And it, it's it's a scary thing, you know, and, and from a personal perspective, you know, just doing this podcast, I thought a long time about putting myself out there. And this isn't, you know, this this is obviously me, but this is me talking into a microphone about films. Yeah. But it's still me putting myself out there yeah. in, in a way. And being open to criticism Mm -hmm. so it's just a a kind of it's interesting to talk about the fandom because these people are fans and they have paid their money and they are standing there but Mm. then they're talking mad shit about the band afterwards so so what is the the band what is their purpose in these people's lives Mm. i believe and it's something that the film goes into in a greater way uh later on but i believe these three women are pure are purely sexual objects yeah, absolutely. for this crap. They can give two shits about what songs were coming mm-hmm. out of their mouths, what it means. You know, these are cute women in these cute outfits, and you know, they're kind of sexy outfits as well. Yeah, it's it's that strange thing where you know. It's a very childish outfit, but also very revealing. Which is even more interesting that he included something like this and this sort of take on this situation in anime where, let's face it, a lot of anime sexualizes the women. Yeah, yeah, no, um, yeah. But this, this, you know, this is very interesting in the way that they're doing that here, but they're, they're dealing with it. It's not just, hey, it's some sexualized women. This is the way people look at these women. This is the way they talk about them. This is the way, you know, this is their view on women. Yes, yeah, and it, it's the idea that women are... And it, and this always happens to women, you know. It, it does happen to men sometimes, but it always happens to it women. Does. But Taylor's oldest time, you know, women aren't allowed to own their own sexuality. And this is a huge theme of the film, mm. is that women aren't allowed to own their own sexuality, but men are allowed to own it. So these women... If they, if it was caught 
if people caught on to the idea that these women were deliberately dressing provocatively, there'd be issues. Yeah. But because the, the male gaze on these women mm. is that these women are dressed provocatively, mm-hmm. that's okay. Yeah. That That's all right. But if they owned it, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think this is maybe what Madonna related to within the yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. You know, she's had her controversies, but the women owning it and, you know, producing this mm. sexuality, yeah. you know, it's not, Absolutely. it's not on, but it yeah. can be projected onto them. Yeah. So Mima is on a train and has flashbacks to the performance um, and she continues to think about it while shopping and whilst uh, her agent and... The other guy. Yeah. So, what what is well, he to her again? The agent was it the writer? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. um is it Rima is the agent, isn't she? Yes, yes. Yeah. And then the other guy that's always with her as well. He's um they're having a discussion about whether she should be an actress or a singer. Well, she's declared she declared at the concert that she was leading. Yes, this this before that though, so it's leading up to it. So there's like oh, so you're going you're going it's interwined between play the two. play with the film. I've got yeah I've, yeah it varies. okay it varies. yeah yeah um, it's it's uh, it's one of those films that it, it's <laughs> yeah it's one of those films where it goes a little bit here there and everywhere mm-hmm. at points which is fabulous when you're watching but when you're trying to make <laughs> notes for a podcast it's confusing as shit yeah <laughs> the choreography uh, during the dance scene. Uh, it's purposely not in unison to try and keep it a little more realistic. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Because obviously with animation, they could make it. Oh yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the group announced that they're about to play their last song, and the crowd are fuming. Yeah, and also they're not like a huge band over. They're they're popular, mm. but they they haven't broken the charts yet. They're no. still a quite niche. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the 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 crowd is. Angry, but there's also a group of delinquents towards the back, isn't there? Yeah, uh, causing very, trouble. <laughs> very rowdy for a pop concert that started with a Power Rangers tribute act. Um, <laughs> don't know what happened. At the no, NBC. it's not. No, um, but there's a, a mysterious man watching near the front of the stage. Uh, the fight breaks out of him and some other kids, men, whatever they are, at the back. Um, well, it's 1997, so they're wearing hoodies and got yeah. long hair. Well, he's a security guard, isn't mm-hmm. he? Uh, Mima announces that this is her last performance with Cham because she's leaving the group to become a full-time rookie actress. Uh, and for her final performance, they perform a ballad. They do. Nice little ballad. I preferred the up-tempo song, to be yeah. Mima goes back to her apartment and... Which hairspray song did it sound like? Uh, Good Morning Baltimore. Good, it did yeah. sound like Good Morning Baltimore. Mima goes back to her apartment and talks to herself as she goes through her fan mail like she's leaving the workroom and untucked. Uh, oh, the latest letter for me. I did. Uh, she finds a letter from a fan telling her he's always watching her room. She gets a call from her mum and uh, tells her mum how she doesn't understand the music industry <laughs> before she's cut off for a call from someone with heavy breathing. Yeah, yeah. So quintessential horror film mm. now is it? You know. Yeah. 
I'm expecting a re- rousing rendition of Hearts Not Diamonds yes. later on. She also receives a fax calling her a traitor. So I didn't know much about the film before watching it. Um, I didn't know what genre it was. I just knew it was anime. Uh, and then it was rated 18. So when the breathing happened, I was like, okay, well, are we in for a proper horror film here? And I this says, IMDb doesn't list it as a horror film. That's absolute bullshit. This is absolutely 100% a horror film. It is a horror film. It's very Hitchcockian. Yeah. Yeah. But in being very much like a Hitchcock film, but being violent and a little more out there, mm. it's a De Palma star yeah. film. Yeah. You know, because obviously <laughs> De Palma stole a lot from Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. So in many ways, it's like a De Palma film, which, yeah. you know, an anime De Palma film, if that's your kind of thing, then yeah. Yeah. You're in for a treat. Her, uh, her stalker is an obsessive fan named Nemania, who is upset by her change from a clean-cut image. Yeah, yeah. And that, that progresses throughout. So obviously we've, we've got this... Um, Forgive me, what's the Japanese word? K- kawaii. Cute. It mm. means cute. And it's it's sort of within Japanese culture, this... It, essentially, cute as a sort of product. Mm. You know, we... I mean, we, we got loads of stuff that we, we've bought, you know, from places. And, oh, yeah. that's so cute. This little teddy bear. This, you know, like Kirby. Kirby's cute. You know, and it's it's that idea. And then as she sort of moves away from that, either her own doing or not, mm. it's uh, that's what causes the issue with uh, me mania. Yeah. Which I was, I keep wanting to say me mania. Yeah, I know. Like WrestleMania, <laughs> hooker mania. But it's me mania. <laughs> Um, during her acting career, she's joined by manager and former pop idol Rumi Hidaka and her agent Tadu- Tadakoro. Okay, so we've got it mixed around. So her manager is Rumi and her agent is Tadakara. Yes. Yeah. Mima confides in Rumi about Mima's room, um, but is advised to ignore it. Yeah, um, I have to say this dialogue did make me laugh. I'm paraphrasing, but essentially it's, uh, it's uh, oh, this Mima's room. It's a page on the internet. To which uh, Mima responds, oh, that's really popular at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very, very internet representation. There is a moment in the film where Mima's yeah. H-T-T-P-S. I mean, in my lifetime, I've never had to type in H-T-T-P-S. No, no. Come on, 90s. <laughs> not even waiting for the Star Wars trailer? Did you not have to... Uh... I didn't type. You know, you just typed in www. <laughs> I mean, you didn't type in HTTPS. <laughs> um, Mima's first job is a minor role in a rather problematic television detective drama called Double Bind, and this is when we get a dialogue now about how um, it, in the show a character wanted to uh, wear a woman's skin because he wanted to be a woman. But, oof. I'm sure Jonathan Demi feels personally attacked. Yeah, this is. This is a the thing. Double Bind is not a prestigious television program. No, it's in many ways very trashy. The first, we we get a few scenes at the beginning of dialogue between between the characters, and 
a lot of it seems to be flirting between mm-hmm. the detectives. But then there's also a scene, the first sort of proper scene that we get of Double Bind is a topless murder victim yeah. on the floor. Um, she's only wearing a pair of knickers. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, okay. Double Bind, it's not, this isn't Downton Abbey. No. This is quite a sleazy television programme. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not prestigious. So we kind of get the gist of what's sort of going Mm. on. Yeah. Um, Tadakaro on the set opens a letter and it explodes in his face. Yeah, it's a letter to uh, Mima, isn't it? Yeah. But apparently he wasn't badly hurt and Rumi plays it down whilst trying to teach Mima how to use a computer. And this is when we get the dialogue. (laughs) H-T-T-P. Ah, something came up. Hey, I'm not so bad at this. You're opening a website. <laughs> it's it's interesting that so Mima's bought herself this computer. Yeah. And she's viewing Mima's room. And uh it is funny, she seems completely confused by the concept of the internet. And it's weird that an older woman has to teach her how to yeah. use the internet, but you know, <laughs> we'll leave it to that. Um but she uh, surprisingly thinks it's quite cute at first. Mm-hmm. So the Mima's room, these diary entries, and they sort of fairly innocently, but then as they become more detailed and more personal, yeah, she is quite shocked at the accuracy, mm-hmm. but kind of doesn't try and explain it away. I mean, it is it's quite far fetched, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. knowing exactly how she was feeling whilst shopping at the greengrocers, you know, that's like. What? You know, who is this person? What is this? You know? So it's interesting, and obviously a comment on fan culture. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of fan culture out there that, well, it's obsessive, Mm. but it also forces a personality on celebrities that may or may not be true. They they think that they believe their inner workings and how they think and feel. Yeah. Like, really obsessive fans. It, yeah, know? and it really goes so far with some people. I mean, you know, when you look at certain celebrity blogs and stuff that, you know, detail so many little details of their life and even something like the paparazzi and, you know, that sort of culture... And then even, like, the people who get so offended, which is coming up very soon, actually, the next bit of my notes, people who get so offended by certain decisions that certain celebrities make within their career to the point they send them death threats or, you know, do something dangerous, it's fucking crazy. And this film really, really hits the nail on the head with it. It deals with it really well. And because of this, and because of how predominant it is these days, especially with how far we've come with the internet now... It's. It feels quite modern. This film still. It feels very ahead of its time. Absolutely, because I don't think it's a new phenomenon. No. It. There's just different ways that people can go about it. You know, how many times has someone's uh, sexuality been assumed mm. on the internet? Well, you I mean, know, the guy you, from Heartstopper recently who was uh, forced to come out. You know, someone like Sean. Um, is it Sean Mendes? Mm. 
you know, there's Sam a, Mendes. Sam, that's a director. Isn't Sam it? Mendes. <laughs> no, Sean, Sean, Sean Mendes, yeah, yeah, isn't yeah, yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I, I don't really know the, the new pop people <laughs> too much. Um, but yeah, Sean Mendes. People have assumed his sexuality in their hundreds yeah. online. Oh, he's gay. Oh, he's gay. Oh, he's yeah, gay. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Well, who who the fuck are you to know? Yeah. If Sean, if anyone is any sexuality, like why, what, what, what are you got on these celebrities that other people haven't? And this is, this is Mima's room. Yeah. You know, if this, this is a crazed fan, this crazed fan believes, turns out accurately, Mm. but believes that they know the inner workings of Mima's brain. Yeah. And then what's interesting with that is, um, with some celebrities like Shawn Mendes, you know, these accusations get thrown out there of, of what the sexuality or sexuality is and whatnot and everything. And you don't know how, whether these celebrities even read it or not, you don't know how they take it behind the scenes. You don't know what they're going through when they're getting all this stuff. Whereas much like, like I mentioned with Heartstopper and Kit Connor, he very much made it public that he was going through a tough time with people trying to out him, you know, to the point he had to, come out himself yeah um because of it and it is very much clear that he you know he was going for a shit time of it which brings me to how this film deals with it in that we get to see this culture within this film and we get to see how she deals with it mima yes you know we get to see what she has to go through and that is just really refreshing for an anime to deal with something like that i haven't watched a lot of anime but a lot of it's delving into fantasy and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of anime delves into fantasy and stuff that isn't really, you know, connected to the real world. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this is very, despite all the visuals and the surrealism and everything, this is very grounded and can be applied to real life. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's true. I think more so than, you know, it's a difficult one because a really great film can be relatable no matter what. Yeah. Something like the themes in Spirited Away. Spirited Away is a fantasy film, an anime, but its themes resonate. Yeah. You know, you just have, a, have to look a little closer. You know, yeah. you have to read the film. Um, and I mean, in like a book, not yeah. like, you know, a drag queen. <laughs> but, you know, so this is a little more obvious with yeah. its you know sort of themes and such but yeah it, it's a really interesting one and it is one that really resonates now you know, madonna back in the day then we had someone like miley cyrus mm-hmm. where and it is it, an interesting one that the media isn't brought up yeah to it and I, I and I think that's a conscious decision that they made yeah so like, if, we're, if we're gonna talk about this but you know, we only have so long to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So other films have spoken about the media in this sense, but we're going to talk about the fandom and about women, really. Mm-hmm. And this is a this is definitely a film about women. And I must point out, obviously, the director and the two writers are male. Yeah. And it's not something... We, we would never turn around and say men are not allowed to write about women. Mm-hmm. Or men are not allowed to make films about women. But a lot of the time, like I've said previously, 
it feels like they've never met a woman. Yeah. Whereas this is very refreshing. It is, yeah. Because I I believe, and, you know, we, we are both male, but we have done our research and there's quite a few write-ups. We believe that this is a feminist yeah, film. Yeah, definitely. And that its themes are very specifically about the female experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does it very well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, leaning into everything we've just said, uh, in the next scene, Tadakoro lobbies the producers of Double Bind and succeeds in securing Mima a larger part in the film that involves a rape scene. Despite Rumi's objections, Mima accepts the Double Bind role, although it just leaves her severely affected. Some think that really raises an interesting idea about how sleazy production companies think adding sexual assault with a popular actress will gain a bigger audience wanting to see this and the actress herself is just expected to be okay with this. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting because just before this, Mima's fans, are, are they are initially disappointed. So the ones that were bitching about her at the concert are still Mima fans. Yeah. So they're, they're initially disappointed by her lack of screen time within the show. And any sort of scene without her in was super duper boring. What's interesting is that they talk about this whilst purchasing a manga. Mm. Now, the manga has two very scantily clad women on the front cover. Mm -hmm. So it's almost as if this, the, the, the rape scene in question has been created to please that type of fan yeah that only sees women as mm-hmm. sexual objects yeah so they're like well if you want to see her in the um show more then we're gonna really give you what you want yeah and we're gonna re- sexualize her and the way that they do that is and this is, you know, it's um, Tadakoro that says this. Mm. It's by insinuating that playing a rape scene somehow makes the role more prestigious. Yeah. Because he says um, that Jodie, what's her name, had to do it. Now, that's a reference to Jodie Foster mm-hmm. in The Accused. Yeah. And the scene that, that plays out... Mm in Perfect Blue, is actually quite similar to the scene in The yeah. Accused. And so he's... To, to mention that, because Jodie Foster, you know, obviously she was famous, but she won her first Oscar mm-hmm. for that role. So it's almost as if he's insinuating that these, the role and the scene is somehow more prestigious. And yeah. that actually, she f- should think herself lucky that she's yeah. been put up for that. Mm-hmm. That's what I gathered yeah. from this. Yeah. And it's, again, you know, kind of refreshing in a way that usually when we deal with a film that deals with sexual assault on this podcast, it's mentioned, it's never actually dealt with. Whereas the inclusion of it within this film and, and the way it looks at why it's included and it's so interesting and it does deal with it. Yeah, it's not used as a um, throwaway plot device. No. It's not used as a, as a sort of form of assault. It, it, in the sense of, I find with a lot of horror films, to up the ante, they don't just kill a woman, 
they have to sexually assault her yeah. beforehand, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. So it makes it very flippant. Yeah. Uh, whereas this is this is integral to the film mm-hmm. and integral to the themes of the film. Yeah. Um, I'm. It's interesting when Mima says it's not like they're going to rape me for real, mm. and I'm again I'm paraphrasing or anything, but my parents will flip when they see me like that. Yeah. Though. So, she's embarrassed. Mm-hmm. By the idea of her parents seeing her in this situation, yeah. when it's like, well, n- no, that's n- that's not what this scene should be conveying. This isn't for titillation. Mm-hmm. This is she shouldn't be embarrassed by this, you know, because it is it's very serious and it's a very serious thing. So what I'm assuming is that. The TV show Double Bind mm. is dealing with sexual assault and rape in the same way as some of the horror films that we've talked about yeah. on the podcast and we've watched in the past, where it's very flippant mm-hmm. and it doesn't deal with it. It isn't, you know, it doesn't take it as seriously as it should. And it's just like, oh, yeah, cool. You know? Yeah. And at worst, it's there for titillation. Mm-hmm. It's there to uh, entice a kind of viewership. Yeah. You know? And somehow make it more prestigious. Because, mm-hmm. Lord forbid, as she does later in the film, you know, Lord forbid... Oh, she doesn't actually. I apologise, that's not true. But Lord forbid she owns her own sexuality. Yeah. She, she doesn't actually, no. But Lord forbid she she owns it herself mm-hmm. because yeah. then she would get judged. Yeah. Uh, so she films the scene in a strip club surrounded by various men, and uh, despite the the scene being part of a film within a film, it goes on for so long and it is very detailed. Even though you know it's a performance and it's not actually meant to be taking place, um, but she like sees one of the men as looking a bit like a stalker, and it's and the film as a whole is a very disturbing film. Um, and very intense. And, and this scene is definitely up there as one of the most disturbing in the film. Yeah, yeah. So the idea is that her character is a stripper. Mm. And the one of the um, audience members rapes her. Whilst the others look on. Yeah. Cheering and, and jeering. So that's very much that's the accused. Mm. The, the Jodie Foster film that I mentioned earlier. Um. The filming goes on for for a very long time, and it, the actor playing the rapist actually apologizes. Yeah. Says, "I'm really sorry," you know. And Mima's just, "Oh no, it's all right." Mm. She's so sort of innocent to to it all. She's not necessarily realizing what's happening to her. Mm-hmm. Not in the sense of the, the 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 character that she's playing, but as her as an actress. Yeah, you know, people. It's all men on mm-hmm. set because Mima is in tears and she walks off. She can't bear to watch it. Mm. So it's all men. No one's comforting her. It's ironic that the man playing her rapist is the one that's comforting her. Yeah. And the one apologising mm-hmm. and the one making sure that she's okay. Yeah. Because there is a prolonged time where he's just lying on top of her whilst they're waiting to set up lighting mm-hmm. and the camera. You know, and I think it's very, I think it's very interesting. And I think it's also very interesting when the 
the crowd in the scene mm. kind of dissolves in her mind into yeah. a crowd of fans cheering for Mima at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I think the, the, it's definitely saying there's a correlation between these jeering men and the fans that she had at the beginning, the ones who are most likely, let's be honest, enjoying watching this scene at home. Yeah. For its, you know, sexualization mm-hmm. of a J-pop idol. Mm-hmm. I think it's very, I think it's really interesting. So yeah. expertly done mm-hmm. as well. So uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. Very uncomfortable to watch. But that's the point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's uncomfortable for us to watch. Mm-hmm. And because it's uncomfortable for us to watch, we query why everyone actually in the film, the characters mm. in the film, aren't uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why, why are we the only ones uh-huh. that are uncomfortable with this? Absolutely. A bit of trivia about the song in this scene as well. Um, the, one, the song with female Japanese vocals, the synth-pop song uh, in this scene was unlisted in the film's credits, not included on any commercial bootleg release of the soundtrack, and not added to the vinyl record album of the soundtrack that was released in the late 2010s. The unknown song was partially included in one of the various commercials made to advertise the film, but as of 2020, I'm not sure there's been any progress since, the song's title and artist still remain a mystery, although some fans have sought it over the years since uh, it was first released in the 90s. It's quite an upbeat the, song, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, mysterious song. For the scene itself, mm. which I think is quite interesting. I think that's deliberately a yeah. kind of irony, because obviously Double Bind, mm-hmm. we're not meant to think Double Bind is prestigious. No. So they probably would have an upbeat song over a scene of sexual assault. Yeah. When Mima gets home, she sees her reflection dressed in her formal, former idol outfit, and the reflection claims she's the real Mima. So between the ongoing stresses of filming Double Bind, her lingering regret over leaving Cham, uh, her paranoia of being attacked, and her increasing obsession with Mima's room, Mima begins to suffer from psychosis, in particular struggling to distinguish real life from her work and show business, and having repeated uh, apparently unreal sightings of her former self. Yeah, the, um, the real Mima that she sees in in the mirror and about town. Mm. At one point she says, no one likes a pop idol with a tarnished reputation. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's very interesting mm-hmm. that she's getting sex shamed for what she was led to believe would be a reputable role yeah. in, a, you know, a very serious thing. Well, it's And she's getting shamed. Mm-hmm. And it's a story that does resonate with women. Yeah. There are many, many women now and throughout history who have been shamed for being victims of sexual assault. Uh And they don't come forward because of fear of being shamed for that. So in her mind... Because she she was embarrassed because she thought, oh, you know, what would my parents think? Mm-hmm. You know, the word around town is, you know, that she's has a tarnished reputation. Her stalker is telling her 
that she has a tarnished reputation because of this scene that she shot because she's yeah. in this show because she wanted to be an actress and she was in many ways coerced into being in this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very interesting and it, it's very real. I yeah. mean, we, we, we know this story. We, we know, yeah. it. we know, Absolutely. you know, it's happened to so many women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the real meme writes messages on Mima's room, asking for help and telling the users on there that the screenwriter forced her into doing the rape scene. The scriptwriter, Shibuya, parks in a car park where he finds a sign saying double bind covered in blood, along with a CD player playing a cham song in an elevator. The next minute, we cut to Shibuya dead in the elevator with his eyes gouged out. Yes. Um, little boombox. Yeah, little boombox. cham song. <laughs> cham. You have to say it like France. Yeah. Cham. Cham. <laughs> Um, Mima does a sexy photo shoot whilst Cham performed to a packed out audience in their Bananarama post Shabon era and they're filmed by Mimania. The real Mima joins them on stage briefly before stage diving. Yeah, she does a stage dive. But they're, they're given proper Bananarama, two piece, modern era, and the music doesn't sound that different to it either. So they predicted the future. Yeah, so <laughs> they did. So the photographer Murano is famous for coercing women into posing nude for his mm-hmm. photographs. And naively, Mima does appear fully nude for the photo shoot. Uh, the two remaining members of Cham bitch about Mima and suggest that she can't wait to strip for the photographer and spread her legs. Mm. Um, this, again, I mean, even from other women, mm. she's being sex yeah. shamed. Yeah. For what filming playing a rape victim yeah. in a TV show. Um, the Cham song, did you get any of those lyrics down? I didn't. My favourite was this year I'll not exert myself and dress casually. <laughs> it's it's like I will not dress in business attire. Yeah. So uh, the lyrics I was getting from the song are about I mean, they're not putting any effort into dressing no. up. And I mean, they're not. No, <laughs> they're, they're new outfits. But, not. but they, but in terms of becoming kind of subservient mm. and not becoming boss bitches. Yeah. Do, do you know? Do you uh-huh. understand what I mean? It, it's the lyrics kind of were talking about, you know, becoming submissive in, yeah. in a way. Yeah. Which I think is very interesting. Uh, the real Mima speaks to Mimania. <laughs> you can tell I think the film's good on the podcast. <laughs> that was very interesting. I thought that was very interesting. <laughs> the real Mima speaks to Mimania and convinces him to help her deal with getting rid of the other versions of her. Uh, the other two members of Cham are recording their radio show, Idol Chamland. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when Mima goes to visit them, only to see the real Mima sitting with them. So she chases her through the building and outside where Mimania drives a truck into her. But what were you going to say? Yeah, no, it's just uh, the, the idea is that Cham are actually successful now. Yeah, because she's gone. <laughs> but um, the idea is that she is regretting leaving yeah. because they are becoming success on the yeah. charts. And men, let's, mm-hmm. let's say men have let 
Mima down. Yeah. And her career potentially could be over before it begins mm-hmm. because she's allowed men... She's not allowed, but men have coerced her mm-hmm. because she she just thought it would be a good career move and they've yeah. taken advantage of that. I do apologize. She hasn't allowed anyone to do anything. They have coerced her into doing something. After being hit of a truck, Mima wakes up in her apartment, which is really interesting. Uh, seems to be getting more cramped and messy as she deteriorates further. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a chat with Rumi and suddenly appears back on set with Mimania watching her. She goes back to the apartment with Rumi and breaks a bowl cut in her hands. So at this point, it's just going fucking crazy between scenes. You don't know what's real, what isn't real. Yeah, yeah. So this this is where it gets a bit Mulholland Drive-ish. Yeah. Where you don't know what narrative to trust. Mm-hmm. From this point on, or indeed from the beginning of the film, like yeah. the, where what's real, what's not, which is, like I said, fantastic to watch. Yeah. Not so great to keep up with for your notes for a podcast. It's it's really interesting to me how Mulholland Drive this is because I always think with David Lynch, he's a very unique guy and I feel like I don't know how many influences he actually has because a lot of his stuff is like, who the fuck thinks of this? So when I first watched this, I was very surprised how Mulholland Drive this is. He definitely watched this film. Do you think? Yeah, there's there's a few things here. I was like, oh, that is Mulholland Drive, the house down boots. Mm. Yeah, it, it's a strange one because, I mean, not being able to trust the narrative of films. I don't think this is the first one. I'm thinking, I know it's a little out there and you might disagree with me. Robert Altman's images. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's very much the same sort of thing. I mean, we... Fantastic book. Um, House of Psychotic Women. Mm. And for the horror genre, there's a lot of this kind of narrative of women um, becoming insane or, or mm. losing their sort of grip on life and us not being able to judge the narrative of what's going mm-hmm. on. In the film, but yeah, it's it's this in in this particular incident, it's quite similar to the way Mulholland Drive does yeah. it, where it's like what, who, what, yeah, and especially when it's to do with being an actress as well. Yeah, you know, I think I think there are very much similarities, and you know, if David Lynch watched it, then he's got great taste. Yes. <laughs> Uh, the photographer Murano, he orders a big body pizza whilst watching Double Bind. Uh, and when he when he gets the pizza, he's like, you sure are a weird pizza man. Uh, and leans forward to grab the pizza, but is stabbed in the eye and then repeatedly stabbed to death by the pizza man who turns into Mima. Yeah. And then we get flashes. So he gets stabbed. This is fucking graphic, by the way. He gets stabbed in the eye. He gets stabbed in the stomach. He gets stabbed in the crotch. Yeah. And then pretty much everywhere else. Yeah. With a screwdriver. And as this is happening, we get flashes of Mima's nude photo shoots. Yeah. And at one point he says, come on, baby, be more daring. What I think is 
also very interesting is that this guy is a creep. Mm. He's a piece of shit. Yeah. He's coerced her. He's known for coercing women mm-hmm. into posing nude. Yeah. Um, and it's plastered everywhere. Her mm-hmm. reputation, you know, it, it it's down the drain. Yeah. Re- really, you know, and um, because of society. And he is sitting down to eat a big boy pizza mm. whilst watching Double Bind. Yeah. What does that say exactly. about Double Bind? Yeah. I bet it's his favourite show. Yes. And I bet he thoroughly enjoyed... The, the rape sequence yeah. in the film. Yeah. I think it was very interesting mm-hmm. that that is what he was watching. I think so. Yeah. Mia finds evidence which makes her appear to be the prime suspect and her mental instability makes her doubt her own memories and innocence as she recalls brutally murdering Murano. Mima, while seemingly switching between different realities, manages to finish shooting Double Bind the final scene of which reveals that her character killed and assumed the identity of her sister due to trauma-induced dissociative identity disorder. After the rest of the film in uh, Staff Have to Leave the Studio, Mimania, acting on emailed instructions from the real Mima to eliminate the imposter, attempts to rape and kill her, but Mima knocks him unconscious with a hammer. This ends with a production crew and audience cheering her on. Yes. Um. So when we're getting, when we're getting the narrative move from what's being filmed and what's real life, or what we assume is real life, or what we assume is being filmed, um, quite an ironic piece of dialogue when the director says, "You've just killed someone. Breathe harder than you did during <laughs> rehearsal," and she has actually just killed someone yeah. in the real life. Yeah. Um, this is where the film does start to become really confused mm-hmm. in a good way. And uh, at this point, we are as confused as poor Mima is. Mm-hmm. Um, the character in the show, this disassociative um, identity disorder, the character in the show has created a drama series in her head... Uh, and this actress persona to deal with her rape at the strip club. Yeah. Um, and I think that maybe potentially that was actually Mima's real story mm. at this point. And I, I, it doesn't, and this is what I do like is that the film doesn't say, oh, got you guys. This is, the, yeah. this is the truth. Yeah. You know, this is, if you're not watching Untucked, you're only getting half the story. I do think it's interesting because we can kind of make up our own narrative in our heads mm-hmm. to to do with this sort of part. And, and Mima's actual story, like what is mm. her actual story? Um, yeah, I just, I think it's uh, very interesting um, when Tadokoro has Mima's new role planned. Uh, he says it's a little smutty, but what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, you know, he gets the money from these smutty mm-hmm. roles. What does Mima get? Exactly. More hate mail. Mm-hmm. Also, what I found interesting is that Mimania, he's seeking to rape Mima, mm-hmm. but he's raping her as a... 
punishment for her uh, her perceived oversexualized new persona. Yeah, which itself was born from the filming of a rape scene yeah. and a coerced nude photo shoot. Mm-hmm. And I mean, all I've got in my notes here is the hypo- hypocrisy of yeah. men. Yeah, I mean, how hypocritical. Mm-hmm. But so accurate to what people actually think in real life. But that's because, and I think because Mimania feels that he owns Mm. uh, Mima's body. He feels that as he's a super fan, Mm -hmm. that he owns Mima's body. Yeah. And that Mima's body is only for him. Yeah. And how dare she film a rape scene? Mm -hmm. How dare she? Pose nude mm. for a photo shoot yeah. when her body belongs to him. Mm-hmm. Her body also belonged to the photographer when he coerced her into posing for these nude photographs and gave them to everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, he he took possession of her body. Her agent, uh, yeah, her agent. Um, Todokoro he took possession of her body when he kept getting her roles that over sexualized her and pretended to her that it was some prestigious role Mm -hmm. you know smutty what are you going to do what are you going to do not work you're going to have to do it the the writer Mm -hmm. took possession of her body when he very much coerced her into filming a rape scene, yeah. you know? And this is, in many ways, men getting punished for yeah. taking possession of her body. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, is it, would we say this is uh, part of the good for her universe? I mean, is by it the end of it, yeah, I'd say so. It should be, yeah. Mima mm. is found backstage by Rumi and taken back to Rumi's home, where she wakes up in a room modelled on Mima's own room. Uh, she calls Tadokaro, who we then see is dead of his eyes gouged out. And Mima discovers that Rumi was the culprit behind Mima's room, the serial murders, and the folly ado that, man- that manipulated and scapegoated Mimania. Yeah, so the big reveal is that the person behind it all was a woman, mm-hmm. essentially. That doesn't mean that the men didn't do what they did. Exactly. That doesn't mean that Mimania wasn't unhinged. Mm-hmm. It's just that um, Rumi took advantage yeah. of him being unhinged. Yeah. So I read this as the writer and director saying that, yes, men are shit mm-hmm. <laughs> when it comes to dealing with they're dealing with women yeah but also the calls do sometimes come from inside the house Mm -hmm. that doesn't you know women there is are women out there that do go out their way to bring down other women and we've seen it Mm -hmm. we've seen it plenty of times yes it is mainly men Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean women don't do it as well yeah plenty of female politicians have done awful things. Mm-hmm. You know, just just look at the Supreme Court ruling, Wade versus Road, uh, Roe versus Wade, excuse me. Um, just look at that. Yeah. Women voted for that. Mm-hmm. 
So it, it's it's just a little reminder. Yeah. That sometimes it is women against women, mm-hmm. mainly men against women, and that that's what the film is dealing with. Yeah. But it's just there is. I also think that Rumi is in many ways a product of this same system that has um, been so cruel to Mima. Now, they said that Rumi was an ex-J-pop star. Yeah. A J-pop idol. Mm-hmm. With all due respect, Rumi as a character, you know, she is on the larger side. She's also older. So it could be that she has dealt with the same bullshit. Yeah. And she can't get over it. Mm-hmm. So we all, we've all seen it. Yes. We've all seen it. You know, the media, the, the fans mm-hmm. turn their back. How could she put on weight? Yeah. How could she age? What is going on yeah. here? You know, how how awful, how awful that a pop star or actress, mm-hmm. how dare she age in front of us? How dare she put on weight? How awful. So mm-hmm. she could be a product of that same system that, I mean, we still see now. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Rumi previously developed a second personality who believed herself to be the real Mima, using information from Mima's confided in her as the basis for Mima's room. She also reveals her motives. She is displeased by Mima retiring from the idol industry and hence seeks to destroy and replace her in order to redeem her image. At her wit's end, Rumi's Mima personality chases Mima through the city to murder her and Mima incapacitates Rumi with a mirror shard in self-defence but saves her from being killed by an oncoming truck. Yeah, I love the visuals during yeah. this part. It looked great. Yeah. And this is the kind of shit you couldn't do in live action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without exactly. A big, without a big budget. Yeah. And even then, you know, you're taking risks, especially we're going to use CGI and stuff as well, you know. It's... Oh, yeah. Well, I, I think this kind of thing, you know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and wonderfully with yeah. the, the acrobatics and the, the flying mm-hmm. through the air style. But, I mean, that was a big budget film. Yeah. Sometime later, Mima is now a well-known actress and visits Rumi in a mental institution. Rumi's doctor says that she still believes she is a pop idol most of the time. And Mima says she's learned a lot from her experience, thanks to Rumi. As Mima leaves the hospital, she overhears two nurses talking about her. They think she's a lookalike, as the real Mima would supposedly have no reason to visit the mental institution. But as Mima enters her car, she smiles at herself in the rearview mirror before declaring, No, I'm real. Which I love. I was like, yes, queen moment. <laughs> but it's also very interesting because the nurses think this, why would this famous woman, yeah. she's so successful, such a successful, you know, pop idol or such a successful actress, mm-hmm. what would she be doing at a mental, institu- a mental institution? Mm-hmm. If you're so successful and you've got this lovely car and you're mm-hmm. so young and you're so beautiful, what do you have to worry about? Yeah. Like how how can you have mental yeah. health struggles? Mm-hmm. That's for the rest of us. That's for the real people. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting and a great way to end with yeah. her saying, no, I'm real. Absolutely. And real people 
deal with these things. Mm -hmm. You know? But also famous people deal with them too, honey. Yeah. That's perfect blue. Yeah. uh, Fun little fact. That final line as well was uh, a direct influence on the J-Lo and Ja Rule song. Was it? I'm real. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, And that's perfect blue. (laughs) Yeah. Like I said earlier, from a film created by men from the novel to the screen, it's just... It's interesting how feminist this film is. And, yeah. I, and I can't speak on behalf of women, but from what I've seen online, I've seen a lot of women really appreciate mm-hmm. how feminist this is and, yeah. and kind of re- relatable a lot of it is for the way that women are treated in society and particularly famous women, but also, you know, Women just going about their daily business mm-hmm. and, and men feeling like that they possess mm. women's bodies and that women's bodies were created solely for men. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this deals with that idea incredibly. It does. And, and, but still manages to be an interesting and thrilling horror film. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, uh, It really is the perfect piece of filmmaking and deals with so many interesting themes and fits so much into like an hour and 20 minute runtime. It's mm. incredible. Doesn't waste a second and doesn't overstay its welcome. No. Either. The animation looks incredible. You know, Still the soundtrack's does. great. It's mm-hmm. just, it's just fantastic. Yeah. And let's get to the awards. Yes. Biggest queen. Mima. Mima. It has to, to be Mima. Mima. It does. She's vulnerable she's relatable she can perform a pop song yeah <laughs> absolutely good on her <laughs> biggest gasp i have the strip club scene it is the strip club scene um yeah it, it is the strip club scene best dialogue i have h t t p ah something came up i'm not so bad at this <laughs> I went a little more serious. No, I'm real. (laughs) And that's camp. I have Mima's chaotic final Cham concert. (laughs) I I just put Cham. I just put Cham. It's it's camp. It's not the campest film in the world, but those moments, Cham Mm -hmm. as as a group, a high camp. And for ratings, I give it ten modern banana rama style two piece pop groups out of (laughs) ten. I give it 10 men who got what they deserved out of 10. And Masterpiece, Trash, Piece, Trash or Basic, it is indeed, for the final time this month, for the final time in a while, it's a masterpiece. It's it's definitely a masterpiece. It's a, absolutely a masterpiece. I highly recommend yeah. you watch it. It's fantastic. It is available on Blu-ray and video on demand. And if you enjoyed this, I recommend checking out Mulholland Drive. If you enjoy good choice, but if you enjoyed this, I recommend checking out Black Swan. Yes, of course. So if you're a fan of Perfect Blue, if you have any suggestions for next year's January, we are Horrible Trash Over on Facebook and Instagram, Horrible Trash on Twitter. I'm done at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram, and GazCruise92 on Twitter. Uh, I am Chris Barker823 on Instagram and Letterboxd. Give us a rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Like and follow on everything else. Rating on Spotify, if if you're feeling kind. Yes, please. Next week, we are getting romantic. Mm. 
We're getting romantic. We're getting a bit saucy. Oh. We are discussing a film where a dildo is a big part of it. Oh. A killer dildo. <gasps> not not as in like killer crime. It doesn't come to life and kill people. People use it as a weapon. We are discussing crimes of passion. Or maybe it's not going to be the last masterpiece in the world. Then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ken Russell's Crimes of Passion and... There's a lot to be said about that film. There is a hell of a lot to be said about that film. Um, yeah. And under underrated. Yes. Yeah. Underrated, I would say. But yeah, really cannot wait to dish the dirt on that yes. one. So we're back same time, same place next week. Bye. Bye.